My name is Chris Keane on the Erskine Veterans Radio Show. Now, we have got a very special interview for you today. I've been talking to Sarah Smith, who is the new family ambassador at the Erskine Veterans Charity. She's also now an author after writing a book during lockdown all about her dad and his battle with dementia. Now, we can hear all about the book shortly. But first, let's find out all about her dad, Bill, the numbers man. Dad had a real sense of community, championing others. You know, I've said this before, but if you had my dad behind you, there were no limits. He was a gentle person. He loved his sport. You know, we were very close all his life. I mean, my name, Sarah, actually means princess, and he always used to call me princess. He's somebody of whom I'm very proud, and when I was growing up, I didn't really appreciate or even take much interest in all the good stuff that dad was doing. But now I can sort of almost boast about him because I am so proud of him. And that culminated with him getting his CBE in December the 15th, 2017. So, yeah, he got that. But he actually entered Erskine the very next day, sadly. So he did his national service in the army. And I also read that he survived the Clydebank Blitz, which is quite amazing. Did he ever tell you and your brothers any stories about the war? He played a lot of cricket and the story that he liked to sort of tell the most was the fact that he was the captain of the cricket team and he got to boss the general around and tell him which part of the place in the batting order he was going to be placed. And he always turned to him and said, and that's an order. (laughs) So he just made the most of his time out there. He travelled a lot. I've actually got a lovely photo album that's all down to Dad's time in the National Service. So he just made the most of his time, really, you know, and... I think that kind of gave him a love for travelling. So when my mum and he married, they travelled extensively. You know, my mum died 26 years ago this year of cancer. And the last five years of her life, when she was diagnosed, whenever they could, they just travelled. They wanted to make the most of their time together and see the world, you know. So Mm -hmm. I think National Service really gave him that bug, inverted commas, you know, for travelling and seeing the world. Because if you imagine back in the 30s and 40s, most people didn't really see the world. Yeah, exactly. Now, we are going to be talking about your book very soon, which is all about your dad getting dementia. Thank you for sending all the information through, by the way. Fascinating to read about your dad and who he was and what he did. Honestly, incredible reading that. Now, before we talk about the book, what were the first signs for you that made you think dad might be getting dementia? In 2013, we noticed dad was repeating himself. You know, telling the same stories. So we persuaded him to go to the memory clinic. So I took him there. And he actually passed most of the questions with relative ease because he lived on his own. So we didn't know if he was just lonely and he wanted to tell, you know, the stories that he enjoyed to us all the time. Over the next couple of years, we realised there was something that was markedly wrong. And he had a form of dementia called Lewy bodies, which you have hallucinations and paranoia. Mm. And so he never believed that he wasn't well. I would go every day to see him when I would take food. I'd go with Lottie, my dog. But he didn't want any more help than that. And so if I sort of said, you know, I think we really need to get to the doctor, he was very, very upset. But then in the middle of the night in November 2017, he phoned me. Now, he used to phone me a lot throughout the day, but he'd never phone me in the middle of the night. And he was quite agitated. And I just said to Simon, who's my new husband, right, I'm going to get dad. Something's not right. And so that's when the journey into hospital and, you know, ultimately led us to Erskine started. But in fact, he wasn't actually formally diagnosed till 2018. 
and he actually passed in December 2019. So it was a very difficult thing to diagnose because people will try and mask it. For instance, I would say to dad, what did you have for lunch today? And he would say the usual. Now, that's not a wrong answer, but it wasn't actually the answer that I was looking for. So I'd go and look in the bins and realise that he hadn't eaten anything. He knew that that was a good enough answer. And then there was one day we were looking at family photographs and he said to me, pointing to photos of my two brothers, who are they? And I said, oh, Dad, that's Ainsley and Bruce, that's your sons. And then I said to him, who am I? And he said, I don't know. But I said, Dad, you let me in every day because I never let myself in, even though I had a key, because that would alarm him. So I always rang the doorbell. And I said to him, why would you let me in every day if you don't know who I am? And he said, because you always say, hi, Dad, with a big smile on your face. One thing that I really picked up on earlier when I was reading about your dad was just how close you were. And I really related to how playful he was as well. When I read the part about him being in your bedroom and saying goodnight, and instead of walking out the bedroom door, he would walk into the cupboard. I found that brilliant. And it's exactly the sort of thing that I would do with my children, always playing around, always having fun, always having a laugh. So you were obviously really, really close to your dad. And this whole thing must have just been so tough for you. I had no idea that in the end, dad would be virtually paralysed, wouldn't be able to talk, couldn't eat, couldn't even drink liquids. It's heartbreaking. But dad needed me to be strong because although he was a very strong person, there was something about him that was telling me that he didn't want to do this on his own. So that's why I went to Erskine every day, obviously because I love dad as well. But for instance, he wouldn't go to activities, or very rarely, unless I was there with him, Lottie and I. And he needed that reassurance, you know, that I was there. And for me, to be honest, it was an absolute honour and privilege and I would do it over and over and over if I could. And I do feel one of the chapters in the book is called Silver Linings. And that was definitely a silver lining that I got to spend pretty much four years with Dad, give or take the odd week holiday, helping him guide him through this illness. There was moments of despair, there was moments of shock, but I never let him see that. I would walk home from our skin in tears and go, you know, trying to sort of take stock of what the next blow that had happened and go, how's this happening? But he needed me, so I had to be strong. And I didn't know how strong I was, to be honest, until I went through this. And you wrote a book all about it called Because I Know Who He Is. Why did you decide to write a book about it? Well, it happened in the second lockdown. And although I wrote it in book form, I'm not sure that I decided to write a book per se. I was wondering what I was going to do with myself to keep my mind occupied. Because if you bear in mind, Dad passed in December 2019. And there was all the grief that comes with that. And then we got into these horrendous lockdowns. And so I needed to just keep my mind focused. And my children were at home for the first lockdown, but they weren't for the second one. So I wrote it in book form and as a form of catharsis, really. And then I got to the end of it and I had promised Dad that I would do everything I could to raise awareness, raise money for dementia. And I just sat in my office where I am now and I thought, well, you're not fulfilling that, Sarah, if you don't send this off. Not expecting anyone to want to publish it, but to my great surprise, they did. Now let's hear more about the book and in particular a section of the book called The Wee Girl and the Dog. Lottie and I used to go and visit Dad pretty much every day. You know, the power of therapy in dogs is just incredible. I mean, we'd walk into the main area and it could take us 10 minutes to get to see Dad because everybody wanted to pat Lottie, give her a biscuit, you know. Lottie gave Dad and me an awful lot of comfort. And then I remember one day I was taking him to go to an activity and somebody else's relatives walking down the hall and they said, hello, Bill, how are you? And he was like, good, thank you. And they said, and who's this? 
and dad looked at me and he said, it's the wee girl with the dog. <laughs> and I knew then that he couldn't remember my name. And so the other relatives sort of kind of looked quite sadly at me, but I thought, okay, he doesn't know my name, but he knows I'm the wee girl with the dog. And that's how he continued to refer to me. And I actually thought it was quite sweet, really, because, you know, when I looked at my dad, my dad had very, very blue eyes. I could see that he absolutely trusted me, you know, and Lottie, as I say, gave so much comfort to both of us. And that's, I was just known as the wee girl of the dog. Like you say, it's so touching, isn't it? But it's so sad at the same time. Oh, I mean, as I say, I had no idea what dementia really meant. But further on in the book, much further on, as Dad's sort of approaching, um, probably was at end of life, the staff at Arsenal said to me, you know, he'll have some lucid moments. And I was like, really? Now, Dad hadn't made sense probably for about nine, ten months. He hadn't spoken for a couple of months. And then one day I was sitting and I was holding his hand and he tried to say something to me. And I was like, what is it, Dad? And I just sort of put my arms around his neck and he sort of whispered in my ear. And what he said absolutely astounded me. He basically said in a very, very quiet voice, I'm worried about you. And of course, I started to cry and I said, I don't want you to worry about me, Dad. And he said, are you happy? And of course, I'm crying. And you know, I said, yes, I'm happy. And he just looked at me and he said, promise me. And I said, I promise, Dad. And that was the last thing he ever said to me. Even then, in his time, he was looking out for his little princess, the wee girl of the dog. He just needed to know that I was, I was okay. <laughs> I might have not looked it because I was crying and bogus coming out my nose, but... I just looked at him and I thought, my God, you are just such a selfless person. You're worrying about me. You know, he still had the ability to feel and have emotions for other people. You know, and when my children came to say goodbye to him, this was in October, both my daughters just burst into tears and fell on his chest. Now, he wasn't really moving but much at that point, but he just tapped their backs with his hand. He was comforting them. And my daughter said to me, oh, I feel so bad in front of Grandpa. I said, no, I'm really proud of Grandpa he could still comfort you. And that's how you felt. Just because people don't speak and they may not make sense, there's still a lot going on in there, mm. an incredible amount. And as dad was sort of made the last couple of months of his life, my husband and I downloaded the chart music of 1964. And that was the year he and my mum met. And we just used to sit and listen to that over and over and over and over again. But I know that he could hear that. And I know that he could get some joy from that. People have a sort of vision of people in, in residential care homes, of old people sitting around in a semicircle or a half circle, not interacting. And yeah, sometimes people are sitting in seats sleeping because they're tired and they're frail. But there's so much more to it than that. And seeing people, I've seen people who, one chap, he was a professional drummer all his life and he was catatonic due to dementia. But given the drumsticks, he played like he was back in his heyday. You know, people sing along to songs word perfectly when they don't speak. So the benefits are incredible. And for me to be involved with a place like Erskine is an absolute honour. And that brings me really nicely onto my final question. Your new role as the family ambassador at the Erskine Veterans Charity. Tell us a bit about that role and what it involves. I've been volunteering there since last April. This has all come out really as a result of my volunteering. And I suppose they've been supportive of the book. And they've never had a family ambassador before. And really, I think, you know, what I hope to do and what they hope I can do is help families right from the very beginning of the journey. So when we've got what we call the moving in team, so that's where you go when you want to make an application. But when you get to that stage as the carer, now I've been there myself, 
you're broken because you've come to a realization that you can't do any more for your loved one. And I want to be able to sort of say to families, A, understand that they feel terrible and they feel guilty, but I want them to understand that actually this is a good decision for the person suffering, but it's also a good decision for you as the carer because I got my relationship back with my dad. I could walk home at five o'clock every night. My dad didn't sleep. He walked and he walked and he walked. He didn't use his bed really, Chris, until he could no longer walk. But if he was awake in the middle of the night, he had someone to speak to. He had sandwiches and tea, you know, and the pressure was taken off from me. And actually I got a lot of support from other residents, families as well. We all supported each other. So it's not just about the person that's living there. It's about the families and, you know, how we talked and supported each other. And yeah, people die, they do, it's sad. But we all supported each other on our various journeys. And it's not just people with dementia that are nursing. And obviously there's people that maybe have had strokes and need 24 hour care. So I really hope that I can help other families. And if they've got any questions, because that's important. This is somebody's home. They need to be able to feel that this is their home and they can come to me and, you know, I can help them and advise them give them comfort if they're having a bad day. I've been there and I know that the support I got from the staff at Erskine, I wouldn't have been able to cope the way I did if it wasn't for them. So I want to be able to give that back to other families because it's not an easy journey, you know. Sarah Smith there, the new family ambassador at the Erskine Veterans Charity, telling us all about her new book and about her wonderful dad, Bill, the numbers man.